Hello, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Why Theory. As always, I am your host, Ryan Angley, joined, as always, by co-host Todd McGowan. Todd, how you doing, buddy? Ryan, I'm doing good. It's great to talk to you today on the 100th, we're recording on the 100th anniversary of Lenin's death. So it's a a monumental day in the history of modern humanity. That is correct. And so, of course, we're uh, not doing an episode on Lenin, but we are going to talk about something that I think might end up coming back to this. We're going to talk about dialectical reversal. That's what this episode is going to be about. This is a, a... we talk about dialectics all the time, and the uh, just to, to put this at the top, maybe this is somebody's first episode. It could always be someone's first episode. When yeah. we talk about dialectics, I think the um, the the show's definition that I put in print in my bottle episode uh, article um, is the interdependence of things on their own internal opposition. That's 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 our show's take. Uh, and the show stance in that where do, where do we get that from? That is from our reading of Hegel, and right. uh, from what he he never writes it exactly like that, but his method and what what he writes. I think it's he. I don't want to use the word performs, but in the uh, interest of brevity and not searching around for the word, what his method an uh, acts. Oh, there we go. In acts. I thought that it, was the word I thought you would use. Okay. Yeah. yeah there we, we, yeah. And we've and you know what, Todd? We found it together. So his we his did. method yeah, yeah. enacts that uh, that definition that I just gave. So yeah. if di- dialectics are the interdependence of things on their own internal opposition, then what would a dialectical reversal be? Why 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 even talk about something like this? Todd, what problem does this solve? Why why are we doing this? Why are we well, doing this? I think it solves I think one of the things that we find interesting is that life in a, and maybe this is true of every society. I don't know. We, we haven't lived in another one. But life in a <laughs> capitalist true. society makes it hard to see the way in which dialectics is at work and which and, mm. and the way that dialectical reversal can happen. And and we want to draw attention to that and 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 look at the ways it happens in everyday life and in everyday thinking. So that's mm. one of the things we're going to talk about is that, and and this is true for for Hegel as well. He sees dialectical reversal. So a di- dialectical reversal plays on what you just talked about that internal contradiction, that internal opposition within things, and it's the it it creates something new out of what was before, right? So something, mm-hmm. all of a sudden something new can emerge precisely because what's there isn't just there, it's also at odds with itself, and so it can become something else. And and that's true, we might say ontologically, although I think this word gets way overused today. Mm. Um, it's, it's true ontologically, it's true in terms of the being of entities, the being of, of things in the world, mm. uh, but it's also true in terms of our knowledge, right? And I think that maybe is an area that's even more conspicuous for the dialectical reversal. Like you think one thing, and then if you think about it in this, what we're going to describe dialectically, then all of a sudden you're able to see it in a new way and not just in this, in the, in the, in, in this, in a, in, in one way, one might say like a one way street, right? Like you just see mm. things going in one direction and instead you can see, wait, there's another, you might use the term valence. There's another valence mm. to what's what I see happening. And I think that, let, let me give the, I'll just start with this is my favorite example because I, I like romantic comedies and I like <laughs> romance itself. I, I'm in favor of love. 
uh, <laughs> and I, I mean, no, everyone is, I think. I Not, think there's a lot of people that are suspicious of it. Laura Kipnis wrote a book called Against Love, even, so from a Foucauldian perspective. So I think it's, you know, people are against. I'm for. Uh, <laughs> And I think one of the things you notice when you fall in love with someone or you're trying to uh, measure your – keep track of or grasp the fact that recognized your love for a person is that the things that, act, that, that in a certain way bother you or annoy you or, or get to you about another person, that they're, they're actually integral to what attracts you to that person as well. And so that would be – that's my favorite example of this dialectical reversal. So, for instance, I'm, I'm, I'm going to out myself in Hillary. So I, did, I used to get – she doesn't do this anymore because I've <laughs> disciplined her in a terrible way. Oh, she used to tend to leave the lights on mm. in, in room, like in the house or in the room after she left, in the basement, whatever. Uh, and that uh, – because that, I thought, well, I had some alibi that I was worried about the planet or – Electricity. <laughs> Obviously, it was just I wanted to be annoyed, which is another dialectical mm. reversal in the way of seeing it, right? So I wanted to yep. be annoyed. Uh, but then I recognized that actually she didn't think about turning the lights out because she was more worried about, oh, what are our ki- what's happening with our kids or who are the thinking about other people? So it wasn't that, oh, she's this selfish, horrible person who doesn't <laughs> care about the environment because she leaves the lights on. No, she's actually – the lights are on as an index. Mm. Of the of the extent to which she's actually thinking about other people and not just about herself. So that to me that was a incredible revelation. She would not be happy. This is another little reversal. <laughs> I'm saying this is a kind of, as a compliment to her. She would not be happy that That's this is on the podcast. But okay, it's we're very that. sorry, Hillary. But you don't listen, yeah. so it's fine. Yes, she doesn't. She does. Uh, she does not listen. She has not heard one word of this podcast in uh, uh, how many years? Seven years. Seven years. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. That's a, that's a, that's, that's, a, and you know what? Just to talk about love, that's also commitment to, to not it listen is. to you. It is. Uh, it is. Or, it, right. or to me by extension. Another thing I want to say on exactly this point, like it's the, um, that which, you, you know, you think annoys you about someone is actually that which attracts you to another person. I think this also, um, and this is what happens when you're falling in love with somebody. I think this also happens when, uh, you're falling in love with somebody and it's maybe the wrong time. Like, yeah. you, you, like it's 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 not it's not the right time for you to be falling in love with somebody, um, but like uh, against your like conscious wishes, either you just got out of a relationship or you're currently in one or whatever it is that it, it's just it's the wrong time. Like if you looked at your life on like you put it out objectively on right. a piece of paper, you know, you try to do the like this often happens in the rom com. You try to do the pro con list. Of like, right. is this the right time to be with this particular person? And it's just overwhelmingly, it's it's in the con category. Yeah. Like, yeah. take some time for yourself. Be alone a little bit. You know, th- that would be fine. Like that, it, it's a, precisely that thing where, like, in some way, I mean, this is this. It's, it's sort of remarkable, but like in some way, falling in love with someone at that time does you some kind of injury, and that's exactly part of the appeal. It's part of the appeal, argue. right? And that's yeah. the dialectical reversal, right? Like the yes. dialectics of love, might one might say, right? Like yeah. that. I mean, I think that your example of the pro con list is 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 per- perfectly antithetical to that, right? Because that's a very, and I think this is an interesting opposition. That's a very analytic sure. way of thinking about a relationship, and not a dialectical one. So that's right, a, right, I right, think right. That if you want to think of the like, oh, what would be not thinking in terms of a dialectical reversal? It would be in terms of the pro con list. By the way, my mom. 
her and oh, my yeah, dad you, you often said had, you told this, but tell it again. You, t- I've please. told this story. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, so yeah she, tell it again. She, she, she would, she would be on the verge. My dad would be, you know, no job. You mm-hmm. know, just like all these things, not great about him. You know, and and but he was always a nice guy. He was he was a perfectly great parent and partner in a certain sense. But she would write a list, and then she mm. would she would it would end. I don't know how this always happened. The pros and the cons would be level at the end, and then she, the pro sign she would write doesn't have HIV or something, <laughs> right? Like she would. God. So she would, yeah. and I think that's that's a. In, I, I think she didn't, obviously, she never even, I don't think ever in her life used the term dialectical reversal, but that's an interesting dialectical reversal, right? Like it takes the analytic map and then it, yeah. in, like the, the fact that you're always going to introduce this other uh, pro into a mm. thing, no matter what, then, you know, to always trump the cons. I think that's, that's the whole point of what we're talking about, of like the way a dialectical reversal can happen. So you can turn anything into that, like a, a con can always become a pro, right? And that's the, yes. I think that's well, the, the key thing. Yeah. yeah, Todd, it's on this thing. I mean, it doesn't, I mean, it, it happens, I've seen the pro-con list in so many, like either romantic comedies or just uh, episodes of television where someone is falling in love with somebody, but they maybe don't don't want to. Like, I, I that I actually... I've seen it so much. I can't think of a specific example. You can't think of a single one. It's right. like I know. Yeah, it's like it's that it's that pervasive of a thing. Um, but the the um, the silent pro. It doesn't even have to be written down. Is 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 the entire reason why you're making the list, which is this is not the right time. This is actually in some way this would be bad for me, and that's right. that's the that becomes that is actually it, the pro, right? That is actually, that's actually the, pro the pro. That, that yeah, wins I think out. this. I mean, I think my. F- I, 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 I've mentioned this to you before. My, my favorite example of this dialectical reversal in being, right? Like in the actual mm. world, which is what we're talking about in terms of love is from when I play tennis. So my, my, oh, yeah, right. my, my historically, let's say, I mean, I'm a bad tennis player. So my backhand is very weak, right? So the people I play against the same people, they, not because they're relatively intelligent people, they would always serve, they've never served my forehand, they'd always serve right to my backhand. And I, mm. I, I'd try to run around it, but I couldn't. And so I eventually just was like, okay, I'm just going to... But after, I don't know, two, three years of playing these same people constantly, it, all of a sudden it's turned out that my backhand return is better than my forehand return, right? Mm. So the very thing that became, that was a weakness, precisely because it was a weakness that other people exploited, turned into the strength. So now I try to hit, they serve to my forehand, I'll run around and try to hit a backhand. So Because I now, think it's a, Todd, yeah. this is important, now your forehand is weaker. Like actually, like it's not, is weaker. it got right. worse as a result. Right. <laughs> right, right. So there's a kind of temp, like a temporality involved that, that's w- that in which dialectics gets enacted and this dialectical reversal can take place, right? So the one thing is, is, one thing is weaker and then because of its weakness it gets exploited and then it, it turns into a strength right like and so mm-hmm. no, and the point is that nothing over time just remains a strength or nothing just remains a weakness that the things can actually because of this dialectical ability of things to have undergo this dialectical reversal they can become what they weren't right and that's that comes back to that initial definition that you gave of of dialectics I think like the thing is at odds with itself so it can become what it's not can I, since we're in the realm of sports, I want to give another one. Yes. Okay. Yes. Um, uh, when I was, uh, when I was a young warthog, when I was a, uh, when I was a kid, 
when I was a, a, a chap in high school, um, I enjoyed uh, the license to ruin the summer uh, and winter the New York Yankees had on the Boston Red Sox as a as a as a Yankees fan. And I grew up in Massachusetts. So you lived that was in difficult. Massachusetts, where the Red lived Sox were the dominant team, right? Dominant yeah. team. The the like, and it, for eighty six years. That that is what people cared about. That is that's all they cared about is because they hadn't won since they and and there's all this and 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 the uh, the fellowship of the miserable uh, in in Boston uh, would just were in love with the with the the mythos of like because the the Boston Red Sox had uh, in 1918 sold Babe Ruth to the Yankees right. because the owner at the time of the Red Sox had a had a failing play uh, out on Broadway. No, no, Nanette, this is the mythos. And because his play was bad, he sold his best player, who if you were not, I mean, Babe Ruth is so famous, I'm sure some people have some idea, but he, he, he did what Shohei Otani is doing today, only I think it might be arguable that Otani is more impressive uh, because of the coordinates of the modern game and all that. But um, Ruth at the time was a pitcher and a hitter. With the Yankees, he just became a hitter. And he eventually, set, yeah. he eventually, and he was the first person, I think, to hit um, 20, 30, 40, 50, and 60 home runs in a season. So mm-hmm. just in, just incredible. Just And the, the as I say, the Fellowship of the Miserable, actually, like, they loved this story, like, the, like they directly aided their fiercest rival, and since then, you know, had these just calamitous postseason collapses, none more famous than 1986, yeah. uh, Game 6 against the Mets. Um, and anyway, in 2004, when I was in, I was in high school, uh, the Yankees went up three games to none in the playoffs against the Best of the Red seven Sox series. In a seven-game seven. series, so you have to win four to advance. And they went up three games, nothing. And it was like, I just, I, it, it seemed like there would be like, <laughs> in some ways it's probably what ended up happening is probably good. It felt like there would be like mass death because if, if the, if the, if the, the Red Sox got swept at the hands of the Yankees in this fashion, yeah. like the, yeah. the, the Boston radio between game three and game four, I can really not stress how just venomous and toxic it was yeah. and yeah. I was enjoying it I never knew anything but success because Yankees right. won five right. World Series by that time and I was fat and happy in your and lifetime in Let's my lifetime clear. they won a yeah, lot yeah. more than that they won a lot more right exactly I was 26 I think by that by that yeah. that was 26 uh, world championships which is the most in the sport and yeah. um, well what ended up happening to stop belaboring the, the, the history lesson is that the uh, what I should mention when I was in uh, third grade it got out that I was a Yankees fan and all these kids in recess circled me and chanted Yankees suck at me and I had to like I, I ran away and I had to hide the tears in my eyes it was my friends who outed me who I thought wow. were my friends it wow. was it was crazy. I don't even yeah, remember. It's, it's like I blacked out. Maybe it's because of the brain injury. I don't remember, or, yeah. just, or or good old repression doing its work. Yeah. But I, after I left the circle, I don't. I have no idea what. Like after I extricated myself from the the situation, I don't know what happened. So anyway, to explain a little bit of why I was enjoying, you know, the suffering of others. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, and then what happens is the Red Sox win four games in a row. No one had ever done this in baseball. This had only happened in hockey. I think the Islanders did it twice uh, up to that point, yeah. but whatever. It was just it was just crushing. It was absolutely crushing and then the Red Sox go on to sweep the Cardinals in the World Series. 
Uh, where's the dialectical reversal in that? Well, one, I had my, I well and truly had my like enjoyment. Like, I, oh my God, I'll never forget this. When the Red Sox won the first game, they won game four. A friend of mine was like, do you think the Sox have a chance? And I just said to him, snowball's chance in hell. And he, I cannot even tell you how much he enjoyed saying that back to me after the Red yeah. Sox won. I knew it was yeah. waiting for me. I absolutely knew. Yeah. I knew it was waiting right. for me. Um, yeah. But here's what happened. <laughs> um baseball in New England has never meant anything. Never been the same. It's never been the same since that. They won in 2007, but then by that time, what had kind of happened was they became like any other town in America where if your team is good, you get everyone really excited, but like you don't, like it's just, it's hard to explain at this point, but like it didn't matter how bad the Red Sox were and how good any other team were. Like during this period of time, right, this like 86 years, the Celtics are like one of the, like maybe just the Lakers had won more championships. No, um, no, Celtics have won more than any other team. Okay, You're exactly so, right. Like, the, but but the fandom for the Red Sox was much more intense. I mean, it's a, such a great more. point. And yeah. I also wonder if you can even connect the fact that. So one of the things that all these sports teams in America do is that they get new stadiums built for them constantly. Mm. Like every, I don't know, 20, 30, 30 years, I guess, is probably the average mm. lifespan of a of a stadium, right? Like the and and one of the things that happened with Boston. And it's interesting with the other group, the other failed team that had incredibly loyal fans in the same way is that they've had the same stadium for over a hundred years and it's Wrigley Field in Chicago and it's Fenway Park in Boston. And I don't think it's any accident that the teams that were able to keep their old, old classic stadium were these teams that, and not get this like capitalist demand for the new, how did they avoid that? Well, because they were, People were so attached to them in their failure. Yeah. Right. And I think that's such a great point by you that it's actually, you don't realize that your attachment to the thing, team is irrelevant, right? Like what it could be, whatever. Like your Mm -hmm. attachment to the thing is inextricably tied to the failure of the thing, not to its like ultimate triumph. And I think that like the the Red Sox are the perfect, the same thing happened to the Cubs. They won the World yeah. Series. Same thing. It ceased to be a thing to be a Cubs fan. It's it's it moved to, to the Bears. It's moved to the Bears. It's I, moved I, to the I, Bears. That's correct. Yeah. Although they yeah. won, so it's a little bit in the past. Yeah, that's 80s, true. That's so true. It doesn't well, have that, the same but, that, kind but people of thing. have to make up for it, Todd. Like they have to like like oh, we've never had a quarterback. We've been bad right, forever. Right. They create What's, a thing. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. It's interesting. Like the team creates a, or the fans create a deficit around the thing. If it doesn't already exist, or if it exists, they 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 find value in the deficit, and I think that's the essence of what we're talking about. This dialectical reversal, right? That you you have to see the the way in which what seems to you like a deficit is actually the thing that's integral to your attachment to that thing, right? And yes. if you, and, and this goes from lovers to mm-hmm. sports teams to to artistic works. As yeah. well, I think. Like, I don't think, and I think it goes just across the, and and to to, to political leaders. To, mm-hmm. I mean, this this is one of the many, I think, lessons of Donald Trump, right? Like the like his deficits are not a reason why people detach themselves from him. They're a reason why people attach themselves to him. Yeah. And I think that's to me that's one of the things that is so that that like we were saying. I think the the Capitalism, I mean, you might call it like the commodity form. It blinds us to that, to the way that that 
dialectical reversal is always there, always functioning. Absolutely, I um, it's it's great, and in in this, you know, again, part of the reason why why we're talking about this is it's um, this is a a, a logic that is um, alighted in in uh in the in general in general conversation. It's like like it's uh, I mean, I, I think like just. Just just a little bit. I've heard in Boston sports radio, some people say like, "Well, you'll never get, you'll never." People say like, "Well, you'll never get the the Yankees Red Sox rivalry like like it was in the the nineties and the early two thousands." Um, and but they'll reach for other things. It's like ah, the players are all friends with each other. Like the like uh, it, it, that it, it's it's no, it's not that. It's because it, it's specifically because it was the Red Sox won. Because also in that time, the by that time the Red Sox won that the. The Patriots had already won uh, two Super Bowls, or or right, like we're right. about to get their third. It was just like there was no, but it just at the time it just felt like like it was it was the Red Sox. It was like that was it. Like that had to be it. That was the Holy Grail. And when you get the Holy Grail, no other cup is nearly as good, and you can't even have the Holy Grail again. Like that's like that's that sort of thing. The only way you could get it is if you know the, the team goes into a prolonged period of of suffering and become kind of irrelevant which is like the you know everyone who is a red sox fan is hoping that's not what's happening but like right you hope that's been, not what's happening i mean it's, it's a weird thing about like what you hope for right because you can't and i think that's one of the th- i think isn't that a reason why uh uh psychoanalysis so supplements uh, hegelian philosophy because mm. you can't really be conscious of the process that Hegel's talking about, yeah. as it's happening, right? As yeah. it's happening, right? Like it, it, like I think you can look back and say, "Oh, wow! I really like I got like the integral to my enjoyment or love of that thing was the fact that it that I suffered it, right, or that mm-hmm. it was a fail." Mm-hmm. But I don't think while you're doing it, it would be like I'm. I'm mean, like, how would that work? Like you're you're rooting for a team and you're rooting for them to lose at the same it wouldn't make any sense right it just it doesn't <laughs> yeah. so i think it has to be that it this that the dialectical process happens unconsciously which is why a reversal can happen like a, the reversal comes after the fact i think in terms of our analysis like we've been talking so far about dialectical reversals that happen in actual in the actual world and like as there things that actually mm-hmm. occur but i think what we're even more interested in is the dialectical reversal that happens in our recognition of what's going on yeah right because i think that's the thing that's really uh foreclosed almost by uh our current uh social arrangement right like well, you can- can't yeah good oh no i just, i want to give you the well i want you to finish the point but the um there, just to go back to your, your your Trump point, the way the way that people understand, you're right. Like the 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 liberal understanding is like, how do people not see all these deficits? And it's like they do. They are a plus. That's right. to, to the supporters. Right. I even I saw this um this this meme on uh, I think it was on Reddit, but it was for, first appeared on uh, Twitter or TikTok or whatever. I'm sure it was like somebody stole it from somebody because that's just like that's how it happens and somebody else posted it to get the uh the the joy of the internet points for the for the uh reproduction of it but it was this um it was a picture of like a uh I don't know like a stereotypical hillbilly family and there was text over it which said um 
like it was a trying to rationalize the appeal of Trump and conservatism, which is that like I may not have much, but uh, Republicans will make sure somebody else has even less. And it's like that is eighty percent of the way there. It's I don't have much, and conservatives will make sure that I have even less. <laughs> that that that's actually yeah. the appeal. That that yeah. that's yeah. that's it. And it's not. Yeah. You can't stack it up in the pro con list. It, it 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 like so. This would be the like the dialectical reversal in because it has to work both ways. It can't just work in this. Um, you know, falling in love is just such a it's such, a, such a great example, right? Like that's 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 wonderful. It's like great. Like yes, I feel good about this idea. Dialectical reversal sounds great. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. It's not right. You're. It's a great point, Ryan. That it makes you feel you kind of like that idea of the dialectical yes. reversal, right? Right, but it doesn't. But it's not a. It's not a. It doesn't have a moral uh, arrow. Uh, right. It. It. And and that's 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 kind of the thing. Like it just it works in this in this way. Like there there um you you have like there was no like you know no just the last time I'll, I'll do that example. No Red Sox fan will feel as elated as, as they did in, in when it more beating the Yankees more than even winning the World Series. Right, like that. Right, like for sure. Way right. way more. Right. Um. That it'll it'll never it'll it'll never taste as sweet again. Like that's just that's that's kind of how that works. And it's um, it's it's one of those things that we're I, I think in more inclined to have these uh, bulwarks between the good thing and the bad thing than to see as we started this they're like intimate interconnections. So I want to give a couple of banal examples. Start this thread, and hopefully this this will tie into what. Uh, you were going to say before I started this thread. Um, I said this before. This is this is a you know not an original point by me. Uh, you are not stuck in traffic. You are traffic. You are right. in, in, inextricably bound to the right. thing. It's not only happening to you. You are a part of what's happening to everybody else. I had a great exchange with a listener. This was some years ago, um, and he said back to me. Because uh, I must have said that in an email to him, or I said it on a previous episode, and he said he was getting off the tube in—I um, don't know if it was London or somewhere in, in the UK. Apologies, um, I, I, I forget where. But he, he was just thinking about all these people were in his way for him to get to uh, to work on time, and then after getting out of the crowd, he realized they were only in his way in so much as he was also in their way. In their way, right? And yeah. um, I. Like I thought that was great. I lo- like I loved I loved that so much. Um, here's the then here this will be my this will be my example, and I want your your reaction to to this, and then to wrap it into what you're going to say because I, I think I think it's applicable. Um, I realized this a few months ago <laughs> about myself that um, I I was just like every day I'm like my God, social media just upsets me every day. Every day, just like ah, oh, all this stuff. Like, there's just people saying this. They're they're carrying on this conversation. They're like walking headlong into like this this uh, this thing, and and that they're inv- like inviting, and, and or it's like just all these annoying threads. But like, oh, wh- why why so social media? Social media doesn't upset me. I go to social media to be upset. There you go. That's and I need and and I. It, and I think the like the tip the typical advice would is like well just like get off social media but it's like the it's it's like it's like smoking you know I love that Jennifer this Jennifer Egan line in um in a short story she wrote you know it's it feels life giving as it kills you and yeah. it's it's like it's the the way that social media upsets me is life giving it's life giving right yeah. absolutely right like I think that 
uh, this is maybe a too personal example, but <laughs> so I, uh, so okay. one of the things that I'll I do, like, you know, I'm not going to clip, I'm going to leave it, but uh, I mean, it's not personal, like sexual, it's personal, it. like it exposes me as a kind of a horrible person, but, uh, <laughs> go, so baby. I, uh, I, I often complain about like the number of like, oh, I got to do this podcast or someone else's. Not our podcast, obviously, but like someone I've like committed to do something or I've committed to and and or I've, you know, like agreed to look at somebody's thing and and I'll just be like, I can't believe I got to go on another thing. I'm just so I just wish I could just sit here and just do more, read my book and that I'd be and and Hillary and Dashiell and Theo are like, you know, maybe we don't believe you. Because, <laughs> because who is it that makes all these appointments to be on all these things, right? So I think who else that, is so like, good at scheduling their schedule to accommodate all these requests? I know, I know, exactly, exactly. So that it's really, it's like all, and they're just like, I'm. We're so sick of your. I do. I complain all the time about it, yeah. and they're they're so sick of it because they can tell that what I'm complaining about is the thing that I myself have engineered, right? And I think that, but I think I never, I mean, I clearly, they're forcing me into making this dialectical reversal, but it's not (laughs) one that I would make on my own, right? Like I just, because I think it's like the guy in the tube, right? Like you don't experience it. And I think this is, so we talked about Wittgenstein the last two episodes. Wittgenstein has this great, it's not in any of either the, it's not in the, Tractatus or the investigations, but somewhere else. Uh, he says, so he's talking about like heliocentrism versus geocentrism. And mm-hmm. someone says to him, uh, you know what? But the thing is, we're deceived by our experience because it looks like the sun is going around the earth. And Wittgenstein, mm-hmm. he's recounting this. He says, I said back to them, what would it look like if it was the opposite? <laughs> you know, the, like the point is that. It doesn't like the reversal. Is it? It's not like we're necessarily thinking of it from this individual perspective that doesn't take into account the other, right? Like it, mm-hmm. it's it's only because we have that perspective yeah. that we miss the other thing, right? Like you, you know what I'm saying? Like oh, it yeah. seems like wait, and it's necessary that the guy doesn't see the other people or sees doesn't see that he's he's the crowd for the other people, right? right. But right. is it? I'm not sure. Like, I think, I mean, that's Wittgenstein's point, I think, about, like, we could look up at the sun going around and say, oh, we're, it's moving in the sky because we're going around it. But I, I think that that there's something in the, the question is, I think it's an interesting question, like, is that there's something in the nature of subjectivity in a capitalist society mm. that causes us to think that the sun is going around the earth? Or is it something in the nature of, because I think that actually is a perfect example for all the things we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, is it something in the nature of subjectivity itself? Right, like that. I think that's a yeah. real yeah. question. That, that's that's really uh, it's fascinating. And and I, I mean, if you think about it in terms of the sun and the earth, it's probably something in subjectivity itself. Because mm-hmm. th- there was no, you know, there wasn't. There's Aristarchus in like the fourth century BC, but nobody credited him. I mean, there, you know, he was a heliocentrist, but no one thought. Right. That and that, and that importantly right. is pre-capitalist, I think. for that uh, By far. Right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. yeah. So, so it is, I, was he, possible to think that. But So then here, so then what, I think what I would say then in, in answer to your question is that what capitalism does is it moves that experience to, it, it, it makes it imminent 
like with an with an A. Yeah, like it, yeah, it, yeah, yeah. It it it's generalized and uh and 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 flattened across a a suite of of uh individual experiences throughout every day. Like what, like the, the ones we're talking about, about, you know, yeah. about, you know, you know, in traffic, the tube, my whole thing with social media and like what, what I will say, what I will say is that the, um, the recognition that I go there to be upset hasn't stopped me from going there. It doesn't but stop actually, you. See, right. But I, but I will say it has made me less upset because I'm, because now I'm like, Oh no, I'm doing this to me. It's actually not this other person. It's, 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 it's me. I, yeah, like, I, 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 I need that. So it's like that, that has been, uh, helpful for, for, uh, for me. Like I don't, I don't lose my mind as much because I know that like, Oh no, actually I need, I, I need this. And then I'm, I, then that sort of makes me a little sick to my stomach. And so I, I, I stop getting so upset, like, but I can't stop from going to it in the first place. Is the, right. It doesn't, I, 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 I was going to say that like, I don't, and I think, isn't there something about like, what psychoanalysis does and what you just said, right? Like it does, I, I'm thinking of the end of uh, Freud and Breuer's studies on hysteria, right? Where he oh, says, yeah. oh, like I the, love what the, you're the point I of psychoanalysis isn't to cure or, or like create happiness, right? Like, mm-hmm. but it's, it's to transform hu- common human misery into, I'm uh, sorry, it's, sorry. It's, I thought it's funny. Ordinary funny. human unhappiness. <laughs> Very funny slip. Like yeah. it's, trying, it's to transform hysterical misery into common human unhappiness or something yeah. like that, right? So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Th- I think that's a real, like, I think that ties to what you're saying, right? Like, it doesn't, it's not going to free you from doing the thing. Right. But it can, like, take, in a certain way, take the tinge off of it, yeah. right? Like, take the edge <laughs> off of it. And because you're like, okay, like, I'm, I am doing this. Mm-hmm. And I think that's, to to take, like, in in the sense that psychoanalysis involves a certain kind of responsibility for one's own mode of finding satisfaction in the world, that would be it, I think, right? Like mm-hmm. that that you're actually getting something out of that rather than it's I mean, that's another way to this is a maybe it's dumb to say it like this, but that rather than it's just something happening to you, it's mm-hmm. something that you're doing as well. Right. But of course yeah. it's happening yeah. to you. But but you you are also doing it. Right. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you are. You're. Um, no, I, I just think it's like it's an important point about being and you know it, being an a- agential in in the. Uh, it, well, I mean, this is the point of the, you know, this is the point of the drive, right? The the primary masochism. Yeah. It's it's like it's and it's it's difficult to, um, you know, I I don't want to get into to specifics because of I don't I I don't because I because I also played a part in this as well but it's but it's it, it's like to go back to the love point it's like oh man i'm just always in these relationships where blank happens and it's like yes you are always in relationships where that happens yeah. like you yeah, yeah, of course yeah. you are <laughs> like it's not like, it's not an accident well i right i mean the question would be what's the most important word in that sentence is it blank or is it you it's <laughs> right? exactly yeah yeah, exactly. yeah 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 that's interesting <laughs> i think that in a way isn't isn't what we're talking about like the 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 difference between, in a certain way, the classical detective mm. and the noir or the hard-boiled detective, right? Like Oof. the classical detective thinks, okay, there's just this crime out there that's yeah. been committed. I can just, I'll come in like uh, Auguste Dupin in, in Edgar Allan Poe, or I think Sherlock yes. Holmes to some extent Sherlock was like Holmes, this, yeah. right? Like, or, or Hercule Poirot or, or uh, Miss Marple, right? Like they're, they're external to the crime and they just come along and, and 
they get the clues and they provide the solution. They see what other people didn't see, right? Yep. But the the hard boiled detective or the noir detective, like they're they're involved. Like they see the way in which usually only ex post facto, they see the way in mm-hmm. which they're involved in what's happening, right? Like they can't extricate themselves yeah. from the from the crime. In fact, they often fall in love with someone that may be themselves a criminal. I mean, that's a right. double indemnity. Yeah, of course. He falls in love with the with a with someone who coaxes him into committing a murder, and that's why she even was attracted to him. Uh, right. In Laura, the guy falls in love with the murder victim, right? The detective. Mm-hmm. So I think that I think that there's always this like involvement of the, and you see that like it's not the scene happening external that I'm that's happening to me, but instead it's something that I'm actively part of and participating in. And I think that's the greatness of, I mean, that's why I think we're both drawn to film noir because it, I mean, it's also one of the most incredible analyses of the under, the obscenity of the, what, what Slavoj would call, Slavoj Zizek would call the obscene underside of capital, right? Like it's mm-hmm. the greatest oh, depiction yeah. of that in Hollywood's history. But it also shows uh, the subject involved in what it is, thinks it's just, anal- initially it seems to be just analyzing. Absolutely. And can I just, like, I just want to tell you and the listener at the same time. So here's a little, little peek behind the curtain. The way, one of the ways that, you know, Todd and I talk like we, like twice a week. And like wh- the first time we talk is like bullshit or whatever, uh, yeah, about, about whatever. And, or we'll, you know, talk about the, the episode and then we'll talk later about the episode. And one of the things that you, you said to me when we, you know, landed on doing this, uh, for today, for this week, um, was to come up with some uh, film and, and literature examples, and you and I didn't talk about this at, at all. But I, you just brought up the noir on my my little list here, and there's not that many things because I was um, I was too I was too wrapped up in the I was too wrapped up in the Red Sox thing. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. One of my one of my examples was Detour, and huh. and so we've talked about Detour before. It's one of my favorite noirs. It's a to be it's a B film. It's it's you know like it's not the it's it's not the it's not the best well acted film it's not the clean but you know well, that's it's probably the cheapest if you can, if if you took like what is that what does he do in Dead Poet Society right he has this graph where he takes a poem yeah. he's like the the ambition of the poem and the execution of the poem and you make a graph and you but I'm going to do that with 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 the history of cinema in a different way like okay. the amount of money spent on the film. Mm. And then you graph it onto the greatness of the film, and you take mm. a, like a like. I think Detour would be the greatest film ever made if that was the if that was like, the. You know what I'm, I love it. Yeah, no, because it was made pretty, for such a little budget compared to everything else, right? Everything else, it, yeah, yeah. And so I think w- you have to forgive a lot of sins. And and I and I do and I and I would hope that if someone went to watch it, they would they would uh, approach it with that uh, my, that mindset. I believe it's a. Uh, you can find it streaming on the Criterion channel if anyone has access to that. But um, I think you the, get, I'm sure it's on YouTube too. The, the, it pro- probably is. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Who has the yeah. copyright to that at the, yeah. the at this moment? But what the thing about this movie and um, earmuffs for any listeners who want to go uh, actually see it and not have the thing spoiled. But sometimes it's I think a noir. You can't spoil a noir. You can't really spoil right? a noir because the, the thing it, happens. It, at the, it starts at, with it, the end. Yeah. It's a good point. That's a very good point. So. Um, yeah the the thing that is so I that I think is brilliant and like so one of the things with the noir we talked about this when we did the episode is that like um what noirs do 
Um, noirs are trying to get around. So in, in in the noir, narratively speaking, the characters are running around under the the, the nose of the law for most of the the film. That's that's what that's what happens. That's this this tension, um, and that's also what's happening in the ma- in the actual production, in the writing, in the like diegetically in the noir itself is trying to get around the code. This is my, my reading of like this, uh, this production and narrative, uh, convergence, so to speak. And this detour has one of the most novel, um, skirting around the code that happened in the code era. Can you just say, Ryan, sorry to interrupt, but could you say that the film itself is a detour around the code? Right. It's a phenomenal point. Good. Nicely done by you. Yeah. 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 Well, I love that. Yeah, it's a detour around the code. the The main character, um, Al Roberts, uh, is desperate to get to California so he can meet up with the woman he loves. And along the way, he meets he he hit, he's hitchhiking and he meets somebody um, named uh, I want to say Eddie Haskell, but I think it's Charlie Haskell. It's it's Haskell is the last name, but it's not Eddie Haskell. Right. Right. Um, that's Leave It to Beaver. So yeah. Haskell. So he. Haskell's driving from Miami. He's got he's got a father he needs to see in Los Angeles. So they're going to split the driving. Haskell in the middle of the drive, he just dies. Haskell he just dies, and Roberts immediately is like, no one's going to believe me that he he just died. And he even says, this is really important. You probably don't believe me either. You being the 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 viewer. The viewer and when yeah, I've taught yeah. when I've taught this, uh, the students have often suggested this that like maybe he's lying. And it's like he says you wouldn't believe him. Like I so yeah. anyway. And so what he decides to do, and it's just the first time I saw this, I laughed out loud because I thought it was like funny. Like why did he have to do it? But it's important. Like. He's just like I gotta steal his identity, and so he just like he just undresses this man and he steals his clothes and his identity because he had to, and that's the, kind of the thing with the noir is that like th- this this like fate accompli, like you don't have a choice so much in these situations. You like right. you have to do them. This is like people often write about the fatalism of the noir. So yeah, yeah. he changed. So he steals this guy's identity and he meets up with. Um, a woman he thinks um, by accident at a gas station. Her name is Vera, and she was planning to meet up. Turns out with Haskell, and then suspicious uh, uh, accuses uh, Roberts of having killed him, and they have an uneasy partnership. And anyway, I don't want to give all the details uh, about it because it's amazing. I think to see it play out, but he accidentally this is very important. He ends up accidentally killing her, and. Yeah. Uh, uh, again, just in the case that somebody's going to see it, I don't want to explain it, but it's it is an accident. He doesn't know. He does. He literally doesn't know what he's doing. Um, and so what happens though is that like he's killed somebody, and that's like what are the what are the one of the rules, the top rules of the the code is like if you commit a crime, you're punished. In the, you have to be punished for it, and that yeah. also that leads a little bit of a rider in that if you commit a crime in a diegetic world that is proximate to the year of the release of the film. That when it's a Western, the rules are d- d- diegetic to to, yeah. to that. Like that's like that has to be considered. So, according to the rules of the code, he should go to jail. Robert should go to jail. He should be the he should be hanged. Right? Like that. That should be what what happens. Right. right. O- only he doesn't, and they. It's just it's amazing because Roberts didn't commit that crime. Because he changed identities with Haskell, Haskell technically committed that crime. Because the body of a man uh, having the ID of a, an Al Roberts was found a few days ago. So Roberts is dead. Haskell 
is alive, but as Roberts. So technically, Al Roberts, the main character, did not kill that person. This other person, Haskell, did. But Haskell, as we know, ontologically speaking, is dead. And Roberts, ontologically speaking, is alive. But the identities are switched. And because the identities are switched, he can't be arrested for the crime that, again, technically Haskell committed. It's confusing to see the movie. And the way that it happens at the end is that he walks into a police car at the end of the film, but he doesn't really do it. It's him imagining that right. eventually the law is going to catch up to him. And to me, I just think, I think that this, that's not a, I wanted to make this point. That's not a twist ending. That's a dialectical reversal of an ending. Yeah. yeah. And it's, yeah. and, and, and I, I thought, I thought it was a, I thought it was a perfect example. I think like the, the noir and then I think the noir often does this. Um, and so, so other, other genres do this too. Like we, the great, um, uh, dialectical uh, reversal at the what was the the western the um uh the was it convict convict lake the oh, secret oh, of, oh secret of convict lake yeah yeah that's yeah. it I think that's a great another film has a has a great dialectical reversal of, of an ending we've talked about that uh, I think in the western episode though um so these yeah. these things where it's like the very like the, like just to to make it maybe more explic- explicable is like the the very form of how Roberts is bound as Haskell is the thing that frees him, but it is also that which binds him like in an existential sense. It's like, yeah, phenomenal. Yeah. Right. It's, that's an incredible film, I think. And, and, uh, precisely because there are all these things that happen that you don't think are going to happen. And then, I mean, that's the other thing that, that occurs in film noir, right? Like that you, we didn't really talk about this when we did the episode, but you're, it's a, and and Robert Pippin wrote a book called Fatalism in Film Noir. And this is, as you said, this is a That's common, right. yep. it's not a, it's not an original thing to him. Everybody talks about this. Mm-hmm. Uh, but what's interesting is that the, the fatalism, even though everything seems faded and it often end, begins with the end, right? Like uh postman always rings twice begins with the guy in the death chamber. So right. you're like, well, I know how this is going to go. But then <laughs> yeah. what's shocking is the events that happen take you by surprise. Right. So, and I think that's what you're getting at with detour too, right? Like there's this, these, because these dialectical reversals can happen at any time, you can be surprised by something that is faded. Mm-hmm. Right, and yes. I think that's a yes. that's a really that's like I, well, the other the film I was going to say is an interesting example for uh, that I love is David Fincher's Seven, right? Because oh yeah, one yeah. of the two detectives, Morgan Freeman and Brad Pitt, they can't see the way that this is actually a film that has gotten so many films where Kevin Spacey's in they're they're basically ruined because he's mm-hmm. turned out to be a sexual predator mm-hmm. uh or become became exposed that he right so yeah but uh this one actually is made even creepier i think by that fact yeah right? and i yeah. think that, that but anyway the point is that he that that the Brad Pitt and Morgan Freeman are detectives investigating these crimes. People probably know this, and it's evident in the title, that the crimes committed by the Kevin Spacey character, he doesn't have a name in the film, they just call him John Doe, uh, they, they mimic the seven deadly sins. And so we get to the end, and, he ha- and we haven't yet got to envy or wrath. And so mm-hmm. you're like, wait a minute, what's happening? And it turns out that at the very end of the film, uh, I don't know if I want to say this, but but uh, Kevin Spacey. We did Spacey this in ends, a previous episode. We have done it already. Okay. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, yeah, right. yeah. So, but Kevin Spacey ends up including 
Brad Pitt within, and, and yeah. he ends up committing one of the wrath, one of the sins himself, and Spacey is guilty of envy. So it's interesting how the that we get this. The, what he can't see is the way he's part of the crime he's investigating. Just like the, I mean, it's a neo-noir, but that's just like the way classic film noir functions. Absolutely. Yeah. No, no, no. It's a great, it's a great, it's a, uh, it's a perfect example. Like the, because it, 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 it does, well, it's exactly how you started this, that like the classical detection, they think that they're external to the crime. And right. so what right. the what the villain, what the John Doe character does, is make it clear like, no, you are a part of this. Like you're you, you're, you are a part of this. You're a part of the crime. You're part of the design of this. You're not just unfurling it. And I mean, he even he even says it. He says, "You wouldn't have found me if I didn't walk up to you." You know, like covered in blood. He yells, "Detective!" You know, like that. That's yeah, yeah, he, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and he and yeah, it's it's a it's a great it's a great example. Um, do you have other film examples or literature? I do. Examples I have one or other one. Else? What do you got? Yeah. No, I, here's my other one. I was thinking of. Do you know that the Stanley Kubrick film Eyes Wide Shut? Yeah. We, I don't think we've talked about it. No. But it's a great one because the Tom Cruise character Bill Harford goes through this whole. It's like a three hour, two and a half hour kind of. I don't know, fantasy slash nightmare. Uh, and he he goes through it thinking that all these things like he thinks he's stumbled on this rich person. I mean, yeah, he does go to it on his own. This rich person's orgy that there's this uh, one of his his the daughter of a patient who makes moves on him. He sees these uh, kind of uh, sexual predation in a costume shop. All these things that he oh some guys come up to him and make this homophobic even though he's he's ostensibly not gay in the film, a a homophobic Mm -hmm. attack on him. Uh, So all these things happen to him. And I think he thinks all this is just this external thing that's happening to me. And I think one, and I don't know that he comes this recognition in the film. And I think, I think he doesn't, but -hmm. I think what the film, the recognition it forces on the spectator is that you have to see that he in a way constructed this whole reality in response to Nicole Kidman, his wife, Alice saying she gives a, fantasy of this Navy sailor she saw. And she says, I imagined myself fucking him. And then Mm. I would have thrown over you and our daughter and everything I had just to, to, if he said, would you go away with me? And that just Mm. really, that really disturbs him. And then then later the next night, I think she tells him a dream that she had of, of her at a, at an orgy. And she says, and she just keeps saying, and I was fucking so many people. (laughs) And it's just really, it really, you know, she's just telling a dream, right? Like who cares? Like, but it really, it really gets to him. And it, and, and what I think what he can't see, but what the, what Kubrick allows the spectator to see is he constructs all these events that happen to him Mm -hmm. in response to, the fantasy of his of of Alice Nicole Kidman his spouse. Excellent. Yeah, that's great. That's a, that's a that's a great example. I mean, I also think can you say just this is a slight this is a bit of a um bit of a side yeah. quest uh yeah. and I I'm using the language of video games because I want to bring up a video game example, but can you okay, good. can you talk about fantasy in this context cuz I think it's a it's important uh how you mean fantasy and how uh that word is heard, I think, in a common sensical. Yeah, yeah. yeah so way. I think, yeah. right, right. I think that's important because I think there is in fantasy always a 
dialectical reversal of what's going on, right? Like, and I think if there's a, I haven't thought of this, but I, I, I mean, I have to maybe work it out. But so uh, Jacques Lacan has this. This is very famous. So people probably that know only a little bit about him know this. Thanks mainly to Slavoj, I guess. But he has this idea of traversing the fantasy, which right. it's often associated with him. He says it one time in Seminar 11. He doesn't even say it exactly like that. But but basically, there is this idea of traversing the fantasy. And I wonder if it might be something like this. So the way fantasy usually works is that, so, and I think this the Eyes Wide Shut example shows this, that something in the fantasy, something happens to us, right? Like we... Mm-hmm. Something we we can't access something because of some external barrier, and then the fantasy works around that barrier, tries to access the object, and this, and then it, if the, when the fantasy ends, we access the object or we don't. But but mm-hmm. the point is that the fantasy uh, stages or creates the setting for the narrative of. I think the narrative part is pretty important. The narrative of how you might access this object of desire, whatever that might be. But it never, if it, I mean, maybe it can, but it, what's satisfying about the fantasy isn't the getting to the object of desire. It's the, it's the circuitous route mm-hmm. that the fantasy has, like this route that Tom Cruise, Bill Harford travels in Eyes Wide Shut around New York City, right? Like it's a circuitous route you take to get to the object, not the actual getting of the object. It's like, no, I, I, I like to think in this way of, uh, of, of Sally and uh, Meg Ryan and when Harry met oh, Sally, yeah. she's, yeah. they're talking about their, their different, uh, fantasies. And she goes, and, 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 and Billy Crystal said, I had a dream and I, Harry is the character. I had a dream and I, I was performing sex in the Olympics and I, I had a, <laughs> oh, yeah. a my, and I was, I, I got a 10 from all the judges except the East German judge. I don't know. gave him a five. And, and it was really my mother disguised as an East German judge. <laughs> and then he goes, maybe it was the dismount. And then, so it's yeah. very funny. Yeah. Uh, and then uh, Sally Meg Ryan goes, uh, I have this fantasy. Uh, a, a man rips off all my clothes. <laughs> and Harry's and, and like, well, what kind of fantasy is that? This is yeah. a terrible fantasy. But it's, it's, I think what's funny about that fantasy, isn't it that it, it's exactly, it's a fantasy that takes out all the, the short, the circuitous part and just goes mm-hmm. directly for the object. And that's, there's nothing satisfying about that. But, yeah. but then I think back to this point about traversing the fantasy, I think if, so you, the fantasy seems like something that happens to you. I think maybe, Lacan's part of his idea is that if you traverse the fantasy, you see how, wait a minute, I've actually set up this fantasy for myself, right? Like mm-hmm. I'm, there really is a subject of the fantasy that was elided in my experience of it. Well, and isn't it so funny with Sally is that, um, I mean, the, the film and Harry makes a point to show, I mean, the, the great line on the side is a very big concept for you. Like when she orders things, like this has to be on the side. Everything has to be so. It's actually her whole life, her, her waking whole life. life, is yeah. all circuity. And so then, yeah. of course, the fantasy would be direct, right? That's a be, great, Ryan. It's such a great point. I don't think anyone's ever said that about when Harry met Sally. Which, by the way, Thanks, is a babe. film that should be written on much more than it is. I think it's agreed. Quite, it's quite good. Yeah, but that's yeah. a great point. Oh, yeah. thank you. Um, here's my video game example. Okay. okay, here we go. You know a little bit about this from having read uh, some things that I've written. Uh, Final Fantasy VII, which um, one of my favorite games of all time. It's often in like greatest 
game lists. Hits, it, it, right? it's, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's also yeah. um, often in like most overrated. So it has the like okay, there's something there's something Citizen Kaney about about it uh, in in that way. You know, people <laughs> people love people love to 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 say that it's overrated or to you know put it at, at the like or to put it like number six in the you know like th- that kind of yeah, thing yeah. like to show yeah. respect but also you know, whatever anyway um the I, I there's so much that happens in the game it's 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 harder to describe a video game that uh the first time you play it can last i don't know 60 hours than it is to describe a film so i'm gonna uh, apologies to anyone for whom this it's your did you love it as much as i do i'm not going to describe it in great detail because this is it's just too difficult but in broad strokes to make this uh, sensible and good radio for everybody the protagonist of the game is uh uniquely manipulable and what you do not realize for half the game, um, when the game came out um, originally, uh, it was on uh, three discs for the PlayStation. So you don't fully understand wow. everything until the end of disc two. And then even in disc three, there's a an, an optional and very easily missable uh, – it's not even a side quest. It's just, it, it's just a um, – a cinematic that explains so much of the game that like, there's no reason for you to go back to this place. It's only available in disc three. Anyway, I said I wasn't going to do too many details, but then I just did. So, but the main character whose name is cloud uh, intentionally uh, is, is like I say, uniquely manipulable. Um, There's a world ending cataclysm that is being brought about. And you don't realize this until it becomes very, very clear, but you're being manipulated to, aid and abet that cataclysm from happening, you know, to happen, I should say. Um, and you, you bring it, you do start to bring it about, uh, you begin the process, but this is the wow. thing because you are uniquely ma- manipulated into beginning this process. That is, it's, it's exactly the hinge that allows cloud and his friends to halt the worst of the apocalypse from happening. And it's on hmm. that, at exact same Hinge. It's not two separate things. It's not this trajectory where he went from yeah. being, you know, it's it was it's his status as the the like the manipulated object that allows him to both bring ruin and then be a part of, not solely responsible for, but a part of the kind of salvation that plays out uh, at the end of the game. Um, currently, this is just, just a side point. Um, the game is being uh, re-released. Um, it remastered, uh, no, no, remade, I should say, is a better phrase, um, in three different installments. And it's been fantastic. It's the only remake I've ever seen do this, Todd, like any piece of media, where it treats the original story as a prophecy that the characters in the remake are trying to oh. avoid to attain something better, perhaps. That's oh, that's a good idea. Isn't that's it? a good idea. Uh, yeah, I, I, thought, I always thought the best reboot remake I've ever seen was J.J. Abrams' Star Trek reboot because what he does one. is he 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 creates I mean uh, sub, after the fact it seems so dumb and obvious but he <laughs> creates an alternative universe right like mm. there's a rip mm-hmm, in mm-hmm. there's a rip in time and then there's just an alternate so that way you don't feel like oh all that time I invested in the old Captain Kirk and everyone is wasted right mm. like I think that's an important thing but but then I think the problem is that now we live in this world where that is a narrative device it's so yeah. i mean that's a that's actually an interesting dialectical reversal in itself right like <laughs> yeah. what starts as a clever narrative device becomes a tedious 
narrative device when it's well, when it's yeah. used all the time. Well, so that's the that's the thing that I'm the second installment of this uh, remake series is coming out in like in a month, and I'm just like gonna you know draw the blinds and I'm just gonna like do that thing. That's what I'm gonna yeah. do when when that yeah, game yeah. comes out, and I want to know what they're what they're gonna do with this the setup because. Um, it's it, it's playing with this uh, uneasy tension between uh, what has to happen and what can be avoided, and you really at this point in the trilogy of the remake, you just you don't know. So um, so I, so that that I find interesting. I'm I'm hoping that there will be a uh, a new way of having the dialectical reversal that was in the original. Yeah. That would be very very cool. Well, that I think that's what's in. I mean, I think that's what we find narratively interesting, right? Like, mm-hmm. can this because I think. If just I, I, like a failure in narrative is just another thing happens, right? Like yeah, that yeah, seems yeah, yeah. to me right, like right. that's always like. <laughs> and then I think they're also, and so what we're drawn to in narrative is a a nice dialectical reversal that takes place. It's it's interesting. I don't mind these films so much, but we, we, it seems like there are a lot of films where one dialectical reversal, like Seven, ends with a dialectical reversal, mm-hmm. but it's just one, right? That's it. But I think. It is. It's becoming more common, especially in con f- films, like films about a a con job, uh, mm-hmm. to have like, oh, you thought that was the ultimate con? No, no. Here's the real <laughs> ultimate con. No, no. Here's the yeah. here's the real, yeah. real, real ultimate con. And yeah, I have yeah. to say, Hillary hates. She's like, okay, you get one, but you don't yeah. get a. Mi-. And I think the the film, The Sting. Mm. Is a, I think the sting doesn't go too far, but it it, it pushes it pretty, rides the line. It pushes it pretty far to the point yeah. where you're like, okay, right? Like, but I think <laughs> what happens is even and it's interesting, right? Like, even the dialectical reversal can itself become, and I think this is what Hillary is reacting to. It becomes fetishized, right? It becomes yeah, yeah. Like you're trying to turn the thing that challenges the logic of the commodity form and its way of thinking into itself a kind of commodity form. <laughs> so yeah. that way you're kind of missing the whole idea, right? And I think, I mean, because I think there's something so emancipatory about the dialectical reversal. When it gets when it gets marshaled in that way, I think you're, you're stripping it really of that emancipatory quality. Can I put it in very simplistic terms? Yeah, like, let's hear it. It's the, it's, uh, so in narrative, what you're saying, it's the, uh, and then is not very satisfying. Sucks. Sucks. It sucks. Yes. And so, but when you in in the in the heist film, when you do, it's the difference between and then and but. Yeah, it's like okay, you've done that thing, but now you have to deal with this consequence. Um, and so the 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 narrativity to use it that way that uh Hillary is responding to is when a film takes the uh the very potent but now and turning it into and then. Yeah, yeah. And that, there you go. And that's, that's really that's good. The, that's a problem. Thank you. That's really good. Yeah, I to- I think that's totally true because there's so much in that but now like there's so much uh there's something so freeing in it, right? Like I think mm-hmm. and this is what we were talking about. Like it's not this freedom to be something totally different like you're not getting out of your going to social media but it is the freedom to approach it as your as something you are doing right Mm -hmm. and i think i mean to me i want i mean don't you think like arguments on the whole this is a lot i mean i think you really 
if you think about the arguments, I'm saying you as a universal because I'm so totally included in this. You think no, about but the also arguments. this is you're talking about the social media thing that I'm just I said minutes ago. So right, continue, right. Please. It's a perfect example. Like that's one yeah. instance of that for sure. But I think like everyday arguments that I get into, like I or not even whatever that arguments maybe too strong a word, but like philosophical oppos theoretical opposition. Mm. Uh, I mean, do I take the position that I'm taking because I take that position or do I take it so that I can engage in some kind of theoretical opposition? I mean, I think that really, it's exactly what you're saying about social media. And I think that really is a, I think it's something to think about in every argument that you get into because it's, I, I think, I don't want to sound like a, like a, like too like sugary that, oh, you know, hearing all these arguments you don't need to get into. I mean, no, you still probably need to get into it. But the point is that you can, you can look at them as not this thing happening externally, but also this thing that's happening as a result of my, the way that I'm structured, my form of satisfaction, right? Like it, that I actually, that the, the way that, and I think that I, I think we talked about Hegel in the beginning. I think that's in essence is Hegel's philosophy and his, 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 what he's struggling with is the difficulty of, of, of writing that down oneself, right? Like he, mm. he can easily chronicle it in all these other philosophers, <laughs> but how do you show that you're also uh, guilty of that, caught up in that? And his answer is something like absolute knowing, right? Like that, yeah. that's just, I, the absolute knowing is just basically my confession that, oh, I'm involved in this too. And I, and you, no one can get out of it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the the home alone move right that the home our, alone move right. that was our point right. it's uh, you know uh, just on on this about the the argument I'm reminded I hadn't thought about this in a long time um, uh, people used to email me on my um, uh, grad school email for because I think URI had I don't know better search engine optimization than Pomona for a little bit so that yeah. would when people would look for my email they would they would email me there and I lo- I've lost that uh, I. I I can't respond anymore. I've just lost access to that email. So, yeah. um, but somebody sent me an email that, and then I lost access, so I couldn't respond. And this was so—I never told you this, Todd. But somebody said they had some question. I forget what it was, but they said, "By the way, I think I uh, met you in a Discord chat. Uh, Discord. Um, well, when people say Discord, and they mean like a specific, like a." If you don't know Discord, like a like a channel, like a group, like a okay. you know, whatever. Okay. And they said in a Discord on oh, what did they say? It was either on Marx or socialism or something. And you kept bringing up Hegel, and you got banned. And I thought this was wow. so funny. Is that true? And, no, no, it's not true right. at all. <laughs> I've never. I've only <laughs> I've only used Discord um, one time. It was for um, it, when the it, this is probably boring, but when the pandemic happened um, and we were all doing Zoom school, I I just got the vibe that like people didn't want to be seen at all. So at the time, Discord was just audio only. So rather than oh, okay. doing Zoom school, I just did audio school, and oh, okay. I used I used a Discord for that. I have never used it for so. But I thought it was really funny, and I don't know if somebody was like. I, probably they weren't like I don't know listening to the show and taking like specifically my talking points. But I thought it was really funny because it wasn't me. But that is like, and I I very I, I very infrequently wade into any kind of like online discourse. But like when I do, that is like <laughs> it's like exactly like this other person like so this other person took 
the burden of like what it is that like I actually like like deeply want to do, which is yeah, to yeah, like yeah. be a hard line for something to the point that I get banned from yeah, the thing. Yeah. Like no, you know. I like so that. anyway, I, so I probably brought that up for that for that reason. Well, I think that's why. I mean, like even I mean, there's a nice reversal in that, right? Like the per like through what the person did, you see what you wanted to do. Right. Yes. Like I think that, that yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 I think, yeah. I think, I mean, I, the only thing I think is maybe we've been a little too positive. We tried to show like the way it can, it can, it can end up reverberating in a, like the, it can be terrible, like things that are these, these kind of dialectal reversals. But I do think, I think that it is true that, uh, capitalism, capital society, the commodity form militates against the recognition of this dialectical yeah. shift, right? And I think that's the, I think to me that's the fundamental point, and that's why there's something in the subject. I want to underline it like in that. the subject, like, right? Yeah, right. I mean, we didn't talk about this, but there's a there is a there. It's it's a fascinating debate in the history of Marxism that. Uh, there are certain Marxists. Marx himself doesn't really weigh in on this. This is, this is and or how should I put this? It's more that the interpretation of Marx is different, and it's like two different interpretations mm-hmm. of Marx, right? Mm-hmm. And so one of them is that history is dialectical, and so dialectics will end up toppling capitalism, right? Like that's I mean that's a pretty standard, and in a way I think. It, the final fantasy you could substitute the proletariat <laughs> yeah. for in that final fantasy example you gave i think sure. uh so that that's why marx is really if you think marx that way he's really investing in this idea of dialectal reversal the other way is to think well marx's point really is that capitalism is dialectical so capitalism basically introduces dialectics into this evolutionary progression of history and mm-hmm. then communism will be the overcoming of these dialectical contradictions that beset capital. So it is, it's interesting to think, I mean, I think we've talked about it personally. I think, I think both of these are right. Like, Mm -hmm. I mean, I know that you sort of have to choose, but I think in a certain way there is this dialectical movement of history and capitalism Mm -hmm. makes us aware or both, it both utilizes dialectics, dialectal reversals, and masks them at the same time. Yeah, right. Like, I it's, think it's, that's a. Re- it's expanded. Yeah. yeah, I think that's great. It's expanded and alighted. I think this, this is something we, yeah, we yeah, talked yeah, about yeah. earlier. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, 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 yeah. I mean, it's uh, forced on the. It's forced on the. It's, it's necessary to the system, but it's alighted for the subject. I think subject that's, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Yes, that's yeah, exactly right. That's right, because right, it's it's um, uh, it would be like if you were um. I mean, I think this is also where, like the, like the Freudian support to um to to Marx uh, comes up. Where, um, well, how do you how do you explain on on the level of the subject rather than on the level of capital how one does doesn't see how the you know the the dialectical reversal that they're a part of is elided and and I think that's where you get into um, the fetishistic disavowal as a right 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 a, exactly it's exactly. a very key right. thing um, something I write about right. in my book as a matter of fact um, yeah, yeah very, and good. very good yeah so the the just it's, it's you know we're 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 coming to the end so this would take take too long but isn't it that always the thing at the end the you get the the trend you get the, to the, the point well, that transcends the, the conversation there, right. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah, the reverse exactly, nicely, nicely done. The um, but what what happens, like I would say, is that like 
you know, so you laid out that thing like, is history dialectical or is it capitalism that introduces dialectic? And both are true. And what capitalism does is it expands the dialectic, it, it moves it from like just being uh, like masses and, and civilizations and people like, like, like at the level of like a huge thing, and it makes it smaller and and personal to the to the point that you know you don't see how uh you know buying a bottle of shampoo is not just you're the end user recipient of a process but you're actually it's motor and mm-hmm. that is the like that is the what i would say is the like that's the that's the great success of yeah. uh you know yeah. of 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 capitalism is that like like all of that is hidden also to the to the point where you know it, you are able to, we I'd say you, but it's it's me. Like I am, am able uh, to go through the day and not all the time be consciously aware of all the times that I am the the motor of that which I would consciously want to destroy or or not be a part of. Not be and, part and of, I, right? Absolutely, yeah, absolutely, yeah. right, right. It's absolutely true. Right, and that's why there can be there can be a certain kind of uh, painfulness attached to a dialectal reversal, right? Like you're aware, like oh my god, I'm yeah. involved in all these things that I really don't want to be involved in. Yeah, and I think yeah. it, it all of a sudden how nice and ethical you feel. And this is true of me. I like to feel like I'm ethical, and I constantly am bombarded by all the ways that I'm not when I try to think dialectically. So. Mm. The there cobalt, right? That we always talk about. Like, yes, cobalt. There we go. <laughs> yeah. I have one word for you, Ben. Cobalt. <laughs> are you right. are you doing uh you're you're doing the graduate? Uh I <laughs> not plastics, but <laughs> no, no, I I know. I, I, I am doing the graduate. Yeah, I was I was <laughs> I was Ben Braddock, I think is his name, right? Like Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, <laughs> but today Lennon read a book on Marx. So, oh, nicely done! Uh, <laughs> his, his anniversary, yeah. Uh, what's the lesson, Ryan? What do you think? I think um, okay. I think the we definitely had seven be a recent lesson, so yeah, I don't, that can't, can't be seven. Right. Can't be seven. Can't so be I think seven. we have to do the 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 two. Um, this is what I was. I'm, I'm going to say to in conformity with what we're trying to stress about. Like, there's there's not a. It's not a moral arrow on the dialectical reversal that this is a you know this is a force, yeah. um, and uh, it's a, a, a theoretical one, a, a, a an actual one, um, but it and can lead to emancipation, and it can also you know uh, per, perpetuate lead to destruction, uh, status quo, yeah, and destruction. Mm-hmm. So I think we have to. I think it's two things. Lesson is Watchman Harry met Sally and Detour. Oh. There you go. Going both directions. Yes. But right. thought together. As yes, thought together. Thought together. There yeah. you go. Over and out, right? Over and out, Todd.